0: Okay, Eric. So you started the question. You started yeah. The question is:
1: Is it important for oneself to know whether one's practice is uh, fast or slow? I mean, I know mine's been good, but I don't know whether to label label it as fast or slow. It's been easy.
0: Right now, so far, we have four topics. The issue of what does the word important mean? The mm-hmm. second one is progress. And the next one is the actual question that you had about jhana. Yeah. And the relationship of progress with jhana. So let's take the word important first. What's important? Well, it depends. Things that are rock solid and obvious become not important. They're given. Okay, take things for granted. And by by that, what that means is, is that things are popping around and moving around why not important because we're not paying attention. More. To what's really going on? Okay, so if you are dead, does John need anything? No. Being alive is important. I can't think of anything other than being alive and the things that keep us alive as important. Everything else is not important. So you can think of the four requisites. Just enough food, just enough clothing, just enough adequate housing, just enough adequate medical attention is the only thing that's important. Oh, there's one more thing that I've got to add. And that is the one that's really important. Because if you don't have this one, you're going to be dead in about five minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is that? Your breath. Right. If you don't breathe, you don't live. And living is the only thing that's important. So when you start using the word important, let's be careful with it because there's really very few things that are important. But we rely upon them as if they were given or granted. So let's go a little bit deeper in that just to get the point. The air
2: that you breathe
0: surrounds the planet Earth. The planet Earth is important. You couldn't survive in outer space without the planet
2: Earth.
0: There's one more thing that's important in that regard, and that is gravity. The gravity of the planet Earth keeps the atmosphere here so that we can breathe it. Now, there's very little we can do about gravity. So long as we've got the planet Earth, question is, is how long is the planet Earth going to put up with humans? It's quite a skin rack. Planet Earth is just fine, and would be just fine without humans. It would be okay with humans if they were hunters and gatherers, but since they're building cities and digging up oil and changing the environment and cutting down all the trees and that kind of stuff. Planet Earth may want to change (laughs) the rent. (laughs) So now that we've gotten the word important out of the way, to figure out that what really is important is being alive and the timing for that. And in fact, the people who uh, lived and died 2,000 years ago, not so important that so what's really important is being alive right now, and knowing it right now. And being alive right now, that's important. Knowing that we're alive right now is even better. But so people go around being alive right now and they don't like it and they want something else and they're scrambling for things they think is important when they've already got everything that's really important. There was a uh, musical movie in the 1950s, uh, we, the title of it, the title song was, The Best Things in Life are Free. I was about 10 years old when that struck me. What are the best things in life? And are they truly free? The answer is generally water, it's very cheap. It's not going to be that way forever. But right now, coming right out of the tap, there it is. In our house, electricity is free. You don't pay an extra electric bill. Too much trouble to put in a meter, I
2: suppose.
0: Uh, But the air that we breathe that's free. All we have to do is just take it. There it is. So uh, understanding that what's important is to wake up and be here now and recognize that you're still alive. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that wonderful that you're still alive? Okay. Now, that experience of being alive could be considered then the first job of getting into that state of really appreciating being alive.
1: A new question occurred to me there. Maybe I'm getting a bit ahead, but uh, you or it stated that the jhanas and knowledge of jhanas existed before the Buddha's method. But you emphasize that the first jhana is all you really need in order to get the mind fit for work and do the the correction. But the, isn't
0: the, the actual the actual statement is why am I afraid of the pleasures of? Person? John. That the first John it used uh, the past limit. Let me check that out. Just to make sure exactly how that works. Hang on, the old book's coming out.
2: Maybe that's
1: the doubt I have. of Being sure if I'm practicing correctly. Just taking pleasure in the jhanas and not doing the all the work that's necessary. But I, what I've gathered from what you say is that all that's necessary is to identify the ways in which you're taking gratification from sensual uh, pleasures and only take gratification in wholesome things and simplify your life that way.
0: I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I was looking in the book. I'll stop
1: doing that and listen to what you say. <clears> okay. <throat> that maybe that's my confusion. That um, I'm not clear what's the difference between like ordinary. I don't know if there's ordinary first jhana, which was what existed before the the Buddha's uh, clarification of the method in which people get to a pleasurable mind state, but not necessarily do everything that constitutes correct practice. All right.
0: Here's the thing. In the time of the Buddha, the word jhana was part of the language. People kind of knew it. It didn't have to be so uh, clearly defined. They didn't even have dictionaries back then we do what the Buddha talked about. Now, the next thing is that Westerners, when they hear jhana, they hear it through the filter of the society that they were raised in, which has a whole lot of Christianity built into it. And so when we hear jhana, we hear it as as some sort of attainment right and that's why you're using the word progress so let's define progress first and then we'll go into jhana all right because jhana is not progress jhana is the arrival okay it's not uh well you could say that the the first the um Every one of the jhanas, like almost everything else the Buddha talks about, he talks about it in the sense of the path and the fruit, or the work and the results. Like the carpenter is making a chair while he's working on the chair. The chair is not a chair, but when the chair is complete, now it's a chair and there's no more progress to be made. It's already a chair. Right? Okay. So, (laughs) I offer you the concept of Pilgrim's Progress. You ever heard of that phrase? Pilgrim's Progress. I think it's an old book from the Middle Ages. Yeah. Now, the whole point about a pilgrim is, is that he is going to a holy place. He's going to a holy site. Why, I don't know. But that's the idea of the religion to make progress, to be a pilgrim, to go someplace, all right? So the question is, is that if the pilgrim gets to the holy place, does he remain a pilgrim or does he stop being a pilgrim?
1: Yeah. The thing in which that analogy doesn't fit right into what I'm uh, experiencing is Well, wait a minute.
2: Let's see if it does. (laughs) Okay. All right.
0: The pilgrim, actually, if he's going to remain a pilgrim, making more progress, he's going to have to leave that Holy site to go to another one. And that's basically what pilgrims wind up doing, is going from one Holy site to the next to the next. They did that a lot in the Middle Ages, when they would go to one Holy Shrine in Jerusalem. One wasn't enough. They had to go to another and another and another and another, and then they started digging up things that they felt might be yet another one. And the next thing you know, we've got a whole lot of uh, holy sites and a whole lot of pilgrims that are spending all their time on the road, not in a holy site. So that's what progress will do for you. Uh, Progress itself is the mentality of dissatisfaction of not being where you want to be. And so the first thing that we have to look at with this is is that you are already in that holy place. You are whole right now. You're breathing. You're alive. What else do you want? Yeah. You are right there. The kingdom of God is within you. Take a deep breath and open up your cathedral. You are a holy temple, right? And when we recognize that, what's the point of being a pilgrim? What's the point of being progress? Why don't we enjoy just sitting and being in that holy place?
1: The answer is we
0: have to get out of our driving and our progress and our wanting this and that and come to understand it. We've already got to. Understanding that we've got what we need is gathering the factors of the first jhana.
2: Okay. Uh, it's it's
1: um very. Um, it's like balancing uh, two opposing magnets. Like
0: no, it's like stopping thinking Western and ways of Western and start thinking Asian. Okay. Okay, that's basically it, is we have to start thinking Asian rather than thinking Western. But in fact, the Asians have started thinking Western faster than the Westerns are thinking Asian. And so the whole world is winding up being Western rather than Asian, the way that it has been for long. All right, so I've got the passage. Let me read what the Buddha says about us, John. I thought... Whatever it's going to be, several paragraphs. I thought, whatever recluse Brahmins in the past have experienced painful, racking, piercing feelings due to <clears throat> exertion, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this. Whatever uh, recluses and Brahmins in the future shall experience painful, racking, piercing feelings due to exertion. This is the utmost. There is none beyond this. In other words, what the Buddha was saying is that he was practicing what the Jains practice, which is self-flagellation, self-exertion, etc. like that. And it doesn't matter how much the Iranians will torture the CIA that they caught; They can't do it quite as much as the Buddha did to himself. Right? He tortured himself with racking, painful uh, experiences. And whatever recluse and Brahmins at the present experience, piercing, racking feelings due to desertion, this is the utmost. There is none beyond this. But by this racking practice of austerities, I have not attained any superficial human states, any distinctions in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones, could there be another path to enlightenment? Now, naturally, the word enlightenment or anything like it is not what the are going to talk about. <clears throat> when the word enlightenment shows up in text, that's because of the translator's
2: ignorance.
0: <clears throat> okay. So, uh, here's the whole point is, is that uh, practice, Whatever it is, mental or physical, attainment is not it, that we can push our practice to the ultimate limit. And the Buddha pushed himself to the ultimate limit and didn't get anywhere with it. Okay. I have not attained any superficial human states, any distinctions in knowledge and vision worthy of the noble ones. Could there be another way? I considered. I recalled that when my father the Sakian was occupied, when I was sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree, quite secluded from sensual pleasures,
1: secluded
0: from unwholesome states, I entered upon and abided in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought, with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Could this be the path to enlightenment? Then following on that memory came to the realization that that is the path to enlightenment for John. I thought, why am I afraid of the pleasures that has nothing to do with sensual pleasures and unwholesome states? I thought I shall not, I am not afraid of those pleasures since it has nothing to do with the sensual pleasures and unwholesome states, okay?
2: Um,
0: so when he's talking about sensual pleasures, that's talking about carousing, getting drunk, going out with the boys, smoking, uh, going to the brothels, all the kinds of things that the young guys wanted to do back then, okay? The next point about this is that it shows that he was already practicing jhana when he was a kid, before he left. That the six years that he had spent in the, uh, the wilderness, so to speak, was doing the higher jhanas as well as doing the austerities. We don't know what the time frame was. He may have spent one one year doing jhanas and five years doing austerities, or the other way around. We don't know the timing of that, but then we do know that about six years that he was out there until he came to this point. So something that he was doing as a child, now that he's 35 years old, he recognizes what I was doing as a kid was all I need to do. And all of this struggle and all of this progress was nothing. Okay, so. That's the whole idea. Let's look then at what he describes as the first jhana because all of the factors of uh, the jhanas are right there. So let's go back and read that. I entered upon and abided in the first jhana which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought. Okay. That's an important, in fact, that's the key. Applied and sustained thought. With rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Now, the rapture and pleasure that's born of seclusion means that we are secluded from all of the unwholesome states of mind. We're free from the hindrances. And when you become free from all of your progress, everything that you want, then you can just sit and relish in the reality of being alive. You're in the holy place already. Okay. And, then, and the rapture and the pleasure, uh, um, uh, the pleasure here, this is the pity and the sukha that he keeps talking about and all of the other sutras. By the way, this is sukkah number 36 that I'm reading here now, which is a sukkah that I don't normally read, but I normally do reference this point. Because a lot of people are not understanding. They think either jhana is completely unnecessary or only the fourth jhana will do. Right? But he's clearly stating it's the first jhana. That's the way to do it. So what we need to do then is develop these five factors. The number one factor is, is to stop wanting progress, to stop wanting to do things, to stop these hindrances. Okay, that while you're looking at the road map to the next holy site, you're not looking at the holy site you're already in. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point is, is that we have to come to a rest. With the satisfaction of where we are right now is all there is is needed. We've got what we need right here, right now. Okay, so that satisfaction that we're talking about is actually the Sukha that is the Dukkha Naroda. You have dissatisfaction, making progress, wanting to go someplace, the hindrances that keep us moving as opposed to the sukkah of recognizing that I am free from all of those wantings.
1: Just that I am
0: satisfied with what we have right now.
1: Go ahead. It's not that this, this question didn't come out of being dissatisfied with where I am right now, but that I realized that I felt uh, a lot different than I did when I started or even a couple of months ago. And it's been consistent right now uh, to the point that Well, congratulate I
0: was... yourself for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of the congratulations. <laughs> that's what makes it feel so good is, is that you can pat yourself on the back, nurture yourself and say, we got it. Got it. Yeah. Wow. What a feeling. That feeling of... Huh. I figured it out. I've got it, actually.
1: Yeah. And a, tr- a trick I used to uh, when I when I noticed myself wanting to do a lot of stuff is uh, thinking I'm a worm, I'm a really, but uh, vi- vividly alive worm, like only focus on, on the sensations from here to my to my hip. Uh, So that I don't think that I have to do anything with my hands or with my feet. I'm just a warm, breathing and enjoying sensations. And it really, it's nice to to call me that. But yeah, uh, so the question there was uh, that if I, it's okay to keep going or doing the things that I've been doing all along. Or now that I'm in a stage where I'm more easily in this.
0: No, stop even that.
1: Uh The only
0: thing that we really
1: have to do
0: is to breathe, to think wholesome thoughts, and to enjoy what we're doing. Those are the three primary things, okay? The thinking wholesome thoughts, and the wholesome thoughts then come to that applied and sustained thought that we were just talking about in, in the sutras that are so important. Okay, the ability to apply the mind to the wholesome over and over and over again to apply and then learn to sustain the wholesome thoughts. So the wholesome thought would be, this is nice, this is nice. An unwholesome thought would be, what's next? The answer to that is, this is nice. Coming back into the wholesome rather than what's next means that I want something new. I want to continue progress. I want to be a pilgrim, not a holy cycle. Brother. okay.
1: Yeah. Another um, like yeah. Um, another thing I'm dealing with is that now that I'm able to. Be in a good state for longer, let's say for a couple of hours. Before I used to distribute my day, that when I got bored or tired of meditating and I had other stuff to do and I did them, but it's like uh, I was in the beginning. I hate to talk about stages, but it's like I was in the beginning stages you mentioned of. Uh, Doing 10 minutes of of meditation, then going on about your day, and then when you remember to, you have another 10 minutes. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I'm past that (laughs) in terms of progress. All right.
0: Maybe not.
1: Maybe not. Based
0: upon something that you said, because getting yourself into that state, and then you say you become bored with it, that means you came out of it. No, yeah. You get bored with meditation, okay? And you have things to do. I understand that you've got things to do. You live in the West. You're taught that you've got things to do. But there is a Bible scripture that helps really here right now. And that is, whatever thy hand findeth to do, do with all thy strength, all thy might, and all thy mind." Okay? That's what is happening. In other words, whatever you're doing, Put your mind into it. Apply your mind to that and sustain it. Use the jhana skills, including the results of the jhana with all of the good feelings, and then go do something and stay in that state. You go do something after you fall out of that state. You get bored with meditation. That means you're not in it anymore. Why can't you be in the uh, uh, in a state? And before you lose it and get bored, you go off and do something and do it happily, maintaining that feeling of joy. Okay. Go do it happily. And when you get out of that state, because what you're doing is not enjoyable, then go back and sit down and get yourself back into a state of really great enjoyment. Sukha, pleasure, everything's okay. Now you can take that ninth state back to the email that you were writing, back to the conversation, back to whatever else that you were doing, changing attire, copying files, whatever it is that you want to do, go do that. But do it with all of your mind. Put your mind into it because you've been developing the mind. Apply the mind to it and sustain it. And really enjoy what you're doing. The first jhana can, I mean, that's walking around. Uh, that's traveling music. John is not sitting on the floor in a special state and then getting bored with being on the floor. Yeah, it's okay to get up and go. Just get up happily and go joyfully. Rather than sitting around and waiting until you get bored and then go do something else. Okay, so this applied and sustained thought is actually um, there's a pathway into the higher jhanas if you understand the stepping stones. Okay, and the first stepping stone, the stone that's most important to get with all of the factors of the jhana, is the applied and sustained, wholesome thinking that we're doing. We apply the mind to the wholesome, and then we sustain it. And if those thoughts are wholesome, we begin to breathe with that wholesomeness. When we start thinking about wholesome, applied and sustained wholesome, then we begin to feel pleasure. We feel safe because we're talking ourselves into feeling safe. We're feeling secure. We're feeling comfortable because we've arranged our posture, we're looking at the body, we're experiencing the body, and we find a place to make it comfortable. And with that and the wholesome language of making a success out of it, we feel satisfied and then successful. Right. So the satisfaction, the successful, the thoughts of applying to right now and sustaining right now that's the key, and so we gather these five factors together: the removal of the hindrances that were done with applied and sustained thought, but also the applied and sustained thought brought on the pleasure, and then the the, uh, the feeling of success. I've got it. Yeah, yippee! Uh huh. Yee-haw. The kind of thing that we feel that we've really got it. All right. So that's the first jhana, and we continue working with that applied and sustained thought and applied and sustained thought until we get one wholesome thought after another, after another, after another, after another. and this feeling of success starts to grow. When we do that, then we're going to start paying attention to Most specifically, how good we already feel. So now we're no longer talking ourselves into feeling that really good. We're actually just uh, not even thinking about it. But we're using our thought moments to experience how good this is. How good we feel. Got it. Okay. That, by definition now... In the definitions that we're using is is that we're leaving off the applied and sustained thoughts going into the experience of how good we feel. The high. Okay, but highs, like all pentacles, don't last.
2: It melts
0: into a state of satisfaction. Okay, so that yippee doesn't last for very long. It can last a few minutes. It can last uh, a few seconds. And then it melts. The question is, does it melt back into language or does it melt into a relaxed satisfaction? And That would be the second, the third jar, then, is that relaxed satisfaction that we're now applying and sustaining the mind on. Before it was applying and sustaining the mind on the thinking to keep them wholesome. Then it was applying and sustaining the mind on how good we can feel. And then we apply and sustain that in a more relaxed way into how nice it is. Okay. And then when we go even further to that, that relaxation relaxes into sort of nothing. It's sort of like this train goes at really high speed. That would be the second jhana. And then it slows down to come into the station, and that would be the third jhana, and then the train stops. That's the fourth jhana. And from that stopping point, when things slow down to the point that you can see things really, really clearly. Okay, then we are going to start looking at some other things other than that. But guess what? We've already been looking at all the stuff that's on much of the stuff that's on the list already. What have we looked at? Applied and sustained thought, pity, sukka, and now uh, the the relaxed nothing. Well. What that means is in order to get into fourth jhana, you've got to have the factors of the first jhana because the first jhana is all we're going to be doing all along anyway. We're just doing a good job of it. And the good job of the first jhana would be the second, and then the third, and then the fourth jhana. Now, in that regard, the mind is now so sharp that we can actually see how the mind works. You can see how uh, feelings are created not by what our eyes take in but of what we make of what our eyes take in okay so this is where we begin to start playing with this thing called perception what is it that i'm doing to understand reality reality of the moment is coming in with sensory input Hang on, I've got to take a dog's conversation here to heart. There's an issue that I need to deal with.
2: Come on, Dan. Come on,
0: The puppy is afraid of the big dogs, so she doesn't want to go by them. So she's standing and barking at them. I really appreciate, by the way, the puppy is acting so human. <laughs> instead of just going and living her life, she continues to suck up to the big dogs. <laughs> they would ignore her if she would ignore them. But she keeps wanting to get close, kissy-kissy and all of that, and they keep growling at her. And all she wants to do is to go out into the yard and we got one dog on the porch and the other one on the landing and she's afraid that they'll bite her. And they're not gonna bite her, just go down. And so all I had to do is just go down there and stand in a place that she felt safe so that she could go down the steps by herself. So human. (laughs) So anyway. Now let's get back to our conversation about the the fact that the fourth jhana and the other jhanas, including, by the way, many people talk about eight jhanas. I don't know of any place in any sutta that's listing with eight. And then they say, well, the steps or the things that we do in the fourth jhana are what we call the higher jhana. Well, if that's the case, then there's nine jhanas, not eight. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff to do while we're in first jhana. And what that means is that while we're in first jhana, we will take one object after another, after another. And as we do so, we go through the jhana. So the first thing that we're going to take and pay a lot of attention to is applied and sustained thought. And when we get the applied and sustained thought going so that it's one wholesome thought after another, after another, the sukha and the pity arise. Once the pity arises and gets strong, we can stop applying the applied and sustained thoughts to it. Leave that thinking alone and start actually experiencing how good we can make ourselves feel. This is the highest of bliss. The highest of bliss at all is like a pinnacle, but it takes some work. Why should we work when we can feel just as good? We don't have to spend too much time on that pity of the, uh, the yippee Kayo yay I'm successful, I've got it, you know, that kind of thing. Um and an example of this is imagine that the uh the big game, the Super Bowl or whatever like that, and uh, uh the guy makes a touchdown. What happens immediately after he makes the touchdown? Right, that's the pity, and everybody is looking for that. That's why these people will pay a hundred dollars a ticket so that they can go and feel the pity that they get by the success of the um, the touchdown. But what's the next thing that he does after that yippee ki-yay?
1: He carries on. Ah,
0: a deep breath and a sigh. So, what do the people in the crowds do when they they stand and jump and cheer and throw their arms in the air? And then the next thing that they do is they sit back down
2: ah, and
0: feel satisfied. Okay, so there's the analogy of uh, running down the field is the first jhana, making the touchdown and having the experience of uh, the um, <clears throat> the win is the second jhana, and then the third jhana is the relaxation that we have after the win, and then the fourth jhana would be after the game's over, the stadium's empty. <laughs> nothing left. Everything is just, you know, so easy going that there's nothing but to it. Now,
1: There's a, a yeah. particular feeling after uh, a game's over. It's not the same as if you enter a stage. like. Not well, after. you're still
0: thinking of being the crowd in the, in the stands, okay? So in that regard, when you leave the stadium, you leave satisfied or you leave uh, comfortable. Um, uh, there's a way of thinking about it in the sense of the um there's there's more than one kind of person in the football game. There's the audience, there are the team players and all of those associated. There's the owner of the stadium and the owner of the team, and there's the concession people, right? The concession people, when the game is over, they feel really satisfied because look at all the money they made, and they don't care who won or lost. So long as people keep coming and playing the game. Right? So learn in that regard that we could be the concessionaire. We don't care who wins or
2: loses. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, there's it's hard to get the analogy. But if you look at to number 111, this is a good um, uh, frame of reference for these higher genres. Okay, the first thing that Sariputta does once he gains the first jhana is he's paying now close attention to applied and sustained thought. So you could say that the um, the first jhana has both a path and a fruit. And the path of the of the first jhana is the removal of the hindrances and putting on the applied and sustained thought. And then the fruit of that will be. The pleasure and uh, the wow. Okay, and so the fruit of the jhana now uh, becomes the point of the second jhana. The second jhana, then, the path of the second jhana is the high, the exhilaration. And the fruit of the second jhana is uh, the relaxation. Wow, we've got it. Okay, and then that uh, is, becomes the path of the fourth jhana is, wow, we've got it. There's no place to go. It's all been finished. And that then melts into serenity or there's nothing left. And to now, after nothing is left, is when we can really start paying attention to how the mind works. What is perception? How does it work? How do we perceive that? How do we know that that thing out there that I'm looking at is a tree? How do I know that? So, these are the kind of questions that we begin to ask ourselves, Recognize how the mind actually works and recognize that very little of sensory input is what we deal with as humans. We deal with it after we have, let us say, carved our name in it, making it mine. Right. And how do we do that is by plastering it with our own past. We make it fit into what we know. We don't think something in as new and leave it as new. We always try to make it old by plastering it with something from our past to make it understandable. You see, a tender infant doesn't know anything because he's got no past. So everything that he sees is brand new. He doesn't know what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. So we have to bring that past into it. And I'm not saying to stop doing the past. I'm saying look at what you're doing. Make some choices here. Okay? And when you understand the fourth jhana like that, then that takes all of the magic out of it. And boy, Westerners, they love to add a whole bunch of magic to stuff like jhana, when in fact there's nothing much to it. (laughs) And so this is the way our understanding is is that from the first jhana, once we get it, We're already in a state of satisfaction. There's no place to go after you get the first jhana. What we're going to do instead is take a look at what's going on. And as we do, we take on other objects that are associated with the first jhana. And that's what we mean by the second jhana. The second jhana is nothing but no longer needing to pay attention to the applied and the whole sustained thoughts. Now we've got so much pity, so much wowness, that we're going to take that as the object. And then that melts. It's a beautiful icicle in the beginning, but it winds up being just water.
2: And then the water evaporates and there's nothing much left.
0: Okay, so that's another kind of analogy to use.
2: And so don't see the
0: jhanas as anything special at all. You will get those if you get the first jhana down solid. I think so continued with like, the applied in the whole uh, the applied and sustained thoughts. So when thoughts of boredom come up, say, Aha, I see you thought of boredom. See myself as restless, see myself as wanting to go someplace. Can I go someplace and still feel really good, or do I have to get bored first and then leave my meditation and then go do it? So, you want to take those highs with you, take that first jhana with you. That way, you can apply and
2: sustain the mind on
0: whatever you're
2: doing and get great joy out of that. Knit one, curl two, knit
0: one, curl two, knit one, curl two, knit one, curl two. Or how about soldering this battery and soldering this battery, soldering this battery and soldering this battery and soldering this battery and soldering this battery? Soldering this battery, soldering this battery. You know, just keep one after another, applying and sustaining the mind. That's what we want to do when we're not in China, because that's what we do when we're in China. So take your jhanas
2: with you. So much for making progress, huh? There's
0: no progress to be made. Once you get into first jhana, all you have to do is just look around because you've already arrived. (laughs) There is no more progress to be made after first jhana. And that's what the Buddha is pointing out here. I'm just doing it in in a little bit different detail. But the enlightenment is the first jhana, if we are practicing it correctly.
2: And taking a look at it
0: and keeping our mind focused on the jhana factors. Keep looking at the jhana factors. What is your sutra? Now that you can control your feelings, start
2: to play with it. Because most beginners are out of control of their feelings. Guess what? When
0: you got bored, you're out of control again. So in thoughts of boredom, basically when when we use the word boredom in the suttas, we can see that that's the hindrance of restlessness. That this moment is not good enough. I need to make progress. I need to go someplace and do something. The restlessness is there. If we can recognize that as a hindrance, we can say, I caught you too, and get a great big kick out of that restlessness that just arose. And bring it back in and apply the mind back to that and sustain it. I'm really glad that I can see the rest
2: of it.
1: So when you're starting to get the like the rhythm of it, establishing the first jhana, uh, is it mostly like little sensations of pithi that start to arise or I've always understood it as inhalation is more pithi and exhalation is more sukha. It does
0: come in waves you could say yes that it does have a waveform and sometimes it's going to be a big crashing wave sometimes it's a tsunami you can think of it as the high the high points of the crest of the wave.
1: And do you do that cycling somewhat consciously, or is it something that happens automatically through the method, like uh, that of uh, establishing applied and sustained thought? Then PT, PT automatically establishes itself and grows. And I it...
0: wouldn't I wouldn't say it's automatic. What I would say instead that you talk yourself into. Yeah. You see, we as humans have been in complete control of our feelings all along and we didn't know it. That we thought that the feelings control us rather than the feelings us. And that's true for a very young infant. But as we grow up, we learn to control our feelings. And the whole point is, is that here we're recognizing that we had control of them all along. But we talked ourselves into feeling bad. We would find unwholesome things to look at, have unwholesome thoughts about it, and then wind up feeling unwholesome according to the thoughts that we were having. And so if we start having wholesome thoughts, we can start talking ourselves literally into the first jhana. We can talk ourselves into feeling good. Apply the mind to the wholesome and sustain the mind to the wholesome would be like, wow, this is nice. No place to go, nothing to do. Another possibility is in the room you're in, it's safe. There's no reason for you to have any fear right now at all. Because there's nothing physically going to attack you. The only thing that could possibly attack you is your own mind. And so look around. You're safe. And so we look around in our mind and we look around and we say, yes, I feel safe. If you look safe and know you're safe and talk to yourself about
2: uh, being safe, you'll begin to feel safe.
0: So if we feel safe, then we can talk to ourselves about comfort. We can adjust our posture and get our body into a state of comfort. And when we do, then we can just enjoy that comfort. Wow, I feel comfortable. I feel safe. And we're safe and comfortable, we now can learn to feel satisfied. This is good enough. I like this. And so we let that satisfaction grow. Becoming satisfied is exactly opposite of being dissatisfied. Now we're actually satisfied. You have arrived at that holy place, so you're satisfied. This is good enough. This is holy enough. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. And pretty soon we can recognize, hey, I can get myself into a really good state anytime I want to. That's when the real success comes up, is that understanding of, I can do this. That's why we keep wanting to go back to the first genre over and over and over again, because that's what's eventually going to build up enough sukkah and pity especially to take you into the second genre, rather than being somewhat in the first jhana, wanting the second jhana, wanting to make progress. Rather than recognizing no, it's much more of a relaxation. Much more relaxing and more relaxing and more relaxing. So we relax the mind and the body so that we're safe, safe secure, comfortable, satisfied, and secure. And feel successful at it. Ah, now we can really rest. And as we do that over and over again, that, wow, I could do this anytime I want to, the experience begins to catch hold. And that's where the highs get higher, that you can run down that field and make that touchdown
2: over and over
0: and over again. This is why the first gun is so important. Westerners are racing towards, they think that the fourth jhana is better than the first jhana. Because of that, they don't want to spend any time in the fourth I mean, the Buddha actually, without mentioning it specifically, that's what he was talking about was his own journey. That he wasn't satisfied with first jhana. It took him six long, hard years of effort to recognize that it was the first jhana. And that the pleasure of the first jhana, that satisfaction, that safety, that security, that comfort, that feeling of success, it's not worldly at all. That's something that's completely mental within you, and you have complete control over that. And we don't have to go to the football game. We don't have to go to the problem. We don't have to go to the job to get that kind of email. You can manufacture it right there within your own mind by applying and sustaining it.
2: Flying, sustaining, flying, sustaining. So let's bring progress to a close. Stop wanting something that we don't have
0: just enjoy what we already got you're already in that holy place what a marvelous place you're in
2: mm.
0: yes. so let's investigate that marvelous place that's what second third and fourth especially the fourth jhana, is all about is exploring the marvelous state of the human mind now that it is worth exploring and it's full of frustration and desires and longings and progress and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Not worth, and it cannot be explored very well. The once it's quiet and silent and sustained and joyful, uh, comfortable, relaxed, easy. That's when we can inspect. You mentioned a worm one time. While the worm's jumping around, it's hard to inspect the worm. Get it satisfied, you know, roll it over on its belly and tickle its belly and get it smoothed out. Now we can inspect it. They do that with crocodiles, by the way. Just get them all worked up, and then if you can get the uh, the crocodile over on its belly, you can rub his belly. And <laughs> And then you could do anything you want to, to that crocodile, you've got him relaxed. Okay, So you can think of the fourth jhana is the autopsy that we're doing now that we've got a corpse that will sit still long enough to take a look.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I, the way you put it right now, I relate it to how you feel like the arc of a yoga class. They start with the uh, warm up and then it's the more uh, demanding postures and then it's stretches and then you lie in, in the corpse pose and you enjoy a, a deep relaxation.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last part.
1: That every yoga class should start with a warm up, then with the more demanding uh, postures, then um uh, some stretchings and then finalized with the corpse pose which is basically lying on the floor as if you were a corpse uh right yeah
0: okay yeah so, all right well we're actually doing in a way that same sequence
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay the stretching okay. then before that would be um the, uh uh the sukkah the hard strenuous workout that you're doing would be then the pitching in the sense of getting it. I've got this. Look what I can do with my yoga. I can throw my legs straight up in the air and <laughs> expose my crotch hundred and what uh, ninety degrees or something that they're
2: doing. <laughs> so
0: all the landlords coming.
2: Titty. Titty. <laughs> it would be a
0: good time to go. <clears throat> yeah, the dogs are going to be at it for a
2: while. And go
1: <laughs> bye there maro i enjoyed it very much right. and I, okay. my perspective is uh, much more clear all right. i'll
2: show you See
1: pier yeah.